Chapter Eleven of Fresh Every Hour by John Peter Tuey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The rain ceased falling at midnight. The moon emerged from behind a bank of sombre clouds and threw a silvery radiance over the weird and wonderful architecture of Jollyland. Dozens of the concessionaires and their employees, who elected to live in the park throughout the summer, and who had been penned in all day by the downpour, came out for a breath of air and a stroll along the broad esplanade. Among them was Signor Antonio Amato, who sauntered out of his living quarters, smoking a long cheroot and smiling a wicked smile. He was still inwardly chuckling at the success of his little plot, and he had consumed a most particular bottle of a most particular wine, in proper celebration of his achievement. The signor's attention was attracted by a conversation between two of the special night watchmen who were chatting in front of the tortuous roller-coaster known as the Belvedere Bend. He slipped into a shadow to listen. "'Did he give you orders not to say a word?' one of the men was saying. "'He did that,' replied the other. "'Sure it's tryin' hard they are to keep the thing out of the papers. They're afraid it'll put the place on the blink, and faith, I think they're right.' It's meself that won't be breathing a word of it to a livin' soul from now to the risin' of the judgment dawn." The signor tiptoed noiselessly around a corner and disappeared in the direction of his concession. Three minutes later he was talking to the world on his private telephone and trying to make a tired operator understand what he was saying. "'I have a de news!' he shouted, "'De bigger news, de damned bigger news, de bigger bester news you ever hear. Who? Well, it give me dat a man McCart. Hello, is a dat McCart? Say, McCart, Disa is a Signor Antonio Amado, who make a de lion's jumper, eh? I say make a de lion's jumper at Jollyland. Well, mister, there's one bigger time down at Jollyland tonight, uh, one bigger time. They used to try to keep a it out of the papers, but I tell you, these a wilder man from the South Seas, they raise a hell. They, they have big a fight, they, what do you say? Seat on attack? I know seat on attack. Hello, hello. But only Echo answered. McCarthy had hung up. The signor swore a large, round, succulent oath and went to bed. Jimmy was at his office at the customary hour the next morning. He hadn't slept all night, and he was dog-tired, but his soul was filled with satisfaction. His ruse had worked. Not a single paper had carried a line about the fracas. He had taxied over to Manhattan, and had kept vigil along Park Row until the final editions appeared. Then he had chartered a touring car, and had taken a long ride along the Long Island roads till it was time for him to report for duty. He found McClintock on the job already. The manager was in a jubilant mood. "'Well,' remarked the latter cordially, "'you stood the test all right. I've got to give you credit. I didn't think you'd get away with it, to tell you the gospel truth. Pretty decent bunch after all, I guess. Did any of em put up much of an argument?' "'Any of who?' inquired Jimmy. "'Why, the city editors, of course. You saw em all personally, didn't you?' Jimmy smiled a little guiltily, coughed nervously, and then laughed quietly. "'I might as well confess, Mr. McClintock,' he said finally. "'I didn't see any of em. I tried out a new scheme and it worked like a little old Liberty motor. 
I figured that the story was altogether too good to keep out by any personal visit, and I was afraid, anyway, that if any of the papers hadn't been tipped off, my going in with an argument would start em out hot-foot after the yarn. So I wrote it, and sent it out myself." "'You sent it out yourself?' gasped McClintock. "'I don't get you. Slip me a blueprint.' "'I took a big chance and I got away with it,' replied Jimmy. I knew that there isn't a chance any more of anything that a press agent writes getting into the news columns of a New York paper. They've been shy on that kind of stuff for a great many years. So I said to myself that if I wrote out this yarn like as if I was some kind of a rank amateur, dressing it up with a lot of flossy adjectives and making it read so that it sounded like a foolish pipe dream, they'd size it up as pure fake and throw it in the little old wastebasket. Then, if any reporter or anyone else did shoot in a tip on the story, they'd figure out someone had been trying to bunk him, too, and would pass it up. I made it good and strong, and it looks like they fell for it hook, line, and sinker. And say, I know something I never knew before. If I ever lose out in this game, I can get a job writing a series for the boys' nickel library. McClintock patted him affectionately on the back. All I've got to say, Jimmy he remarked enthusiastically, is that you're a great little press agent. A great little sub-press agent, you mean, responded the other with a grin. End of chapter 11